hope you're hungry because you're listening to Everybody Eats. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Everybody Eats podcast. It's your host, Bensky Belenzer. We have Edom Ekpich here, co-host, and we have a very special guest. I know we say that every episode, but today we have a very, very special guest, Miss Prof- Professor Denise Miller uh, from QC, from Queens College, right? So uh, we've had a bunch of Queens College alum uh, on our on our podcast, but we have a very special I guess professor, professor emeritus, right? So we'll get more into that. So um, for everyone watching, make sure you're watching, uh, you're following us on all platforms. Instagram, that's at everybodyeats.pod. On Twitter, that's everybodyeats0. We got a new little handle. Um, so we're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're on there. So make sure that you're tuning in. All right. So on that note, we have Professor Denise Miller. If you could introduce yourself, uh, where are you from? What do you do? Um, and then we'll get the conversation rolling. Okay. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to be here. Um, it's great to see that you're doing this, that you're doing well. And I uh, have been around a long time. As I'm fond of saying to people, I'm a lot closer to 80 than I am to 40. I won't tell you how close, but close enough. Um, I'm a Brooklyn girl. I was born and raised in Brooklyn and did all of my schooling in in East New York, Brooklyn. Um, I was back, I was raised back in that neighborhood when it was a pretty integrated neighborhood. and then my dad was very active politically. I was a bit apolitical, except my dad made me be interested in that kind of thing. I was among the first group of 18-year-olds to vote. Uh, up until I turned 18, you had to be 21 in, able to, in order to be able to vote. Um, so those of you who want to figure out the math, you go for it. Uh, But that was pivotal for me because the year before I voted was the year that Martin Luther King was assassinated. And East New York went through a lot of what we're seeing in the country now over the last few years. A lot of, of looting and tearing down of the neighborhood. And the neighborhood drastically changed just as I was getting out of high school. I uh, went to Pratt Institute. I wanted to be a textile designer. I love fashion to this day. Uh, Ergo, the little thing that sits on my head here. Um, But there was one drawback and that is that I can't draw. And so I, I minored in fashion design because I could do all the other things that, uh, that you could do to be a designer. I just couldn't really draw my designs well. And um, my minor was in fashion merchandising, which was essentially a business degree. Uh, for those of you who attend Queens College who are familiar, it would be like being a finesse textiles major with a bala minor. That was the kind of degree I had. And after doing some, what we used to call internships, what we now, uh, what we used to call co-ops, now internships, 
I realized that I really didn't want to work in fashion. And I had a career center mentor who managed to get me interviews with industrial companies. And I ended up with Brooklyn Union Gas, which is now National Grid. And I worked for them for 22 years. I was the first African-American female that was hired as a management trainee, which meant that I was being prepared to become one of the corporate leaders within the corporate structure. And I held eight different jobs in three different divisions over the 22 years. Uh, I decided to leave when the company was merging with, um, with Long Island Lighting's gas division because I just didn't feel that I had an appropriate mentor. I was tired of working with all men. My last, my last six years, well, I always was one of the only women in the room because of the position that I was hired in, but my last position, it was absolutely all men. There was a secretary, there was, was me, and then there were eight men who were either my direct colleagues or my supervisor. And as a woman, when you work in that kind of environment, you have to learn to communicate very differently, which is what one of the things that I had to do. But I've done everything from direct supervision of customer service people, to running a public office, to running a business within the business that served uh, some of our customers who needed to be served. I've done analysis work and research. I had a lot of really great experience in the corporate world. And that experience actually enabled me to teach at the college because I had such a broad base. Um, I left the college. I decided to start a business. It didn't go well. Um, but I got to do a lot of other things in other industries. And those things, again, added to what I can now offer students or what I've offered students over the last 18 years. I've worked in luxury automobiles. I worked for Mercedes-Benz. I've worked in luxury retail. I've worked for Nordstrom. I've also worked for um, welfare to work programs. Right. And um, I've done freelancing. I've done reception work. Um, you name it, I've done it. And it's all been excellent because it's taught me a lot about business and about people and honestly about how much alike everyone is and uh that's it i i started teaching in the continuing education department at queen's college um 18 years ago now it's called the office of professional professional development and i taught a class in public speaking the gentleman who hired me, hired me based on a voicemail that I left that he kept for a whole year until he had an opening. Wow. And I, yeah, I, I was amazed. He said, I just heard your voice. I wanted to hire you and I didn't have a place. He said, but now I have a place. Uh, someone quit and he needed someone. And I started teaching and I taught that public speaking course for probably five or six years. 
And about the second year or the third year that I was teaching, oddly enough, the same person actually taught in the degree program and that individual again up and, and quit with no notice. And they needed me to teach at the time. I wasn't able to teach immediately. So they actually canceled the class into the next semester. And I was hired after being interviewed. Uh, I was hired to begin to teach finance students to teach a course, oral communications in the workplace. And that's where my career in the degree program started. For 15 years, I did that. Um, I taught uh, oral communications in the workplace for the first several years. In fact, for about five years, any finance student had to have me before they left because I was the only person teaching the course. Mm. And I taught four sections of the course. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Um, I wanted to do something different. And so I was able to teach a course in leadership that I developed for the, for the college, for the ballot program. And then I was asked to teach VALA 100, which is the introduction to business. Um, in the middle of all of that, I was asked to run a program called the New Professionals Program, where I worked with students to develop them professionally so that they could go into the business world. And you guys can speak about more about how I did with, I just know I worked really hard. I was working ridiculous numbers of hours, but I loved what I was doing. I love my students. And um, that program was funded outside of the regular college budget. And so I did that as long as it was being funded. And once it wasn't funded anymore, I didn't do it anymore. And um, then I had the opportunity though, to work with students in the SEEK program which is the search for education, elevation, and knowledge that serves students who are somewhat challenged financially and who may also have some educational challenges coming into the college arena. And I got to work with those students in, and I started with actually initiating their student mentor program. I was the person who taught the first crop of mentors. And I did it so well that I taught myself out of a job. After that first summer uh, that I worked with those mentors, they were then able to take those student mentors and those mentors became the supervisors for the mentors. And that's how the program has, has continued. One of the things that I love is that a leader really does need to be able to work themselves out of a job. That is really what your goal is as a leader, to be able to bring people up behind you. Because as a leader, if you become indispensable, then you can't move on and you make no room for advancement for others. And so I'm a firm believer in, as a leader, my job is not only to lead well and to cast vision and to invite people into that vision, but also to develop other people. Um, I wasn't watching the time. Am I at my five minutes yet? If I am, I will stop. Oh, you're doing fine. <laughs> 
because I but, know it's only five minutes. Go ahead. <laughs> no, so um, one, I think that was, that was some of that stuff I believe I, I knew, but um, I, I didn't know so much about uh, like exactly like the, the corporate side. I knew, I just knew that um, you, you were working for that, but I didn't know as in depth. So that was definitely great to hear. And um, when I met you last episode, we had Nigel and I think we, we briefly spoke on the episode how uh, how I first met Nigel and I first met him at Welcome Day during my sophomore year. And I told mm -hmm. him, I believe that was the same day he introduced me to you. Um, oh, you nice. were the, um, at the time, uh, you're the NABA um, faculty advisor. And that's when I first heard about, I believe Nigel was in the, the new professionals program. That was the first time that I met when I was introduced uh, into that. So that's, you know, that's my segue into that. And I believe like, I guess Edom, likely that was the same time you met Professor Miller around that time too. Yeah. So, um, Definitely, you know, I, I actually never had a chance to, to have you as a professor, which I always found, you know, pretty funny, but, um, you know, you, you were a great enough mentor, uh, you know, and I learned a, learned a bunch regardless, but. Um, I, I wanted to, I want to know, um, I mean, through all your experiences, when did you realize that I have a knack for, you know, being a leader and kind of developing youth and kind of giving back? I laugh at this because I remember very well seventh grade. My, my math teacher's name was Miss Bluethorn. I loved her. And I remember my mom coming home one night from open school week and saying, hmm, that math teacher of yours, she says that you have leadership qualities. She said, to me, and my mother looked at me and she said, I just told her you were just plain bossy. So... <laughs> uh, <laughs> So let's try seventh grade. Um, I've always, I, it was interesting because I, I can remember, and you have to remember, I'm a child of the, the 50s and the 60s. Um, as a little girl, I was a child in the 50s. And women, the images that we saw of women on TV were women didn't work. Women were housewives. Um, now, with black women, that wasn't the case. Many black women did work. Um, but for the most part, women were, ha you know, Ozzie and Harriet and Leave it to Beaver and all of that stuff. Um, but I never wanted to be the mom. I wanted to be the lawyer. Um, at one point, my mom had, my mom and dad had, uh, took in foster children. And so I, I became acquainted with, um, the phenomena of social workers. So I wanted to be the social worker. I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I was never really intrigued by being the mom. And, um, and so I think that that was kind of having a mom. My mother worked until I was in third grade. Um, and at that point, I wanted my mother to stay home. So I just didn't do homework for a month or two. And my mother went up to open school week. Um, and when she came home, she did things to me that would probably get her thrown in jail right about now. Um, but I never failed to do homework again, ever, for any reason, by the time she was done with me. Oh, and, right. uh, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's so um, I was used to seeing women working. Um, and so I wasn't that psychologically invested in being a housewife because um, both of my grandmothers worked. 
Um, now, I didn't know what they did for a living. Um, I didn't find out till later they were domestics, but I never saw them going back and forth to work because we didn't live with them. Um, I remember going on Friday nights, we used to go pick up one of my grandmothers from her job, you know, because Friday night you could stay up late. What I later realized after I was in the corporate world is that grandma was cleaning offices at night. So that's why we were picking up. But whenever I saw my grandmothers, it was Saturday where it was a casual day or it was in church. And they were both, both of my grandmothers dressed like impeccably. And so they were, you know, they were, you know, hat, gloves, heels, nice suit. And in fact, my mom's mother and I were about the same size. And when she passed away, um i had one of her suits um you know that's i mean they re and i wore it to work and nobody knew okay and and so i never and my mom was an executive secretary so i always saw women who were professionally dressed and uh, my mother spoke a certain way we were not allowed to come into the house with slang and one of my mother's friends used to actually make fun of how we sounded as children and i won't quote exactly what she used to say but all of those things served all three of us i, I am one of three and those things served all three of us as we got out into the business world we knew how to answer a phone we knew how to conduct ourselves we knew which knives and forks to use and so that's in, in terms of leadership, it started at a very young age. Um, there's a phrase in the Bible, and, and you all know that that's my stopping point or my beginning point. And it says, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are older, they won't depart from it. And a lot of people quote, use that phrase to say that you should train them up in the ways of the Lord, but that is not actually what it says in the original language it says train up a child according to their bent you know according to their personality um if you if you have a child uh, for instance a boy child it's, it's it's much better illustrated with that if you have a, a a boy child who who is a musician or a poet don't make the boy play football a he could get hurt and b he'll be miserable and c he'll hate you you know, my mom did not try to make me a little housewife because that wasn't who I was. And so um, I was encouraged to do all kinds of leadership things. Um, we were active in my church. So I was like the, the president of the youth fellowship in my church as a teenager. And those are the kinds of things um, that, that I was, you know, I, I was encouraged to do. And my dad um, always, well, two things. Number one, my mom always insisted that my sister and I had to go to college. It was never if you go to college, it's when you go to college. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. And my brother, she said, you know what, you can make a living, uh, a good living doing construction there are lots of things you can do she's but women don't have that many opportunities my mother did not allow me to learn to type in high school 
because she felt that if I went into any company with the ability to type, that they would automatically make me a secretary. And um, we were raised in my family that we had to be progressively better. We had to do progressively better than the generation before us. And so my grandmother said, um, a lot graphically than I'm going to put it to you, but my grandmother said, I've cleaned behind people so your mother wouldn't have to. And, and then she said to me, and your mother takes people's orders so you don't have to, or so you won't have to. So I was always, it was always being subliminally poured into me that I was going to leave in some way. Um, is that enough? Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, all right. <laughs> so that actually kind of, you, you saw, I kind of answered it, but my next question was going to be, um, how did, um, I was going to say, how did things in your upbringing um, affect your, your later career path? So I guess I was going to say, if you could choose maybe one, you know, one, one skill or one, 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 one phrase or something that, you know, was instilled in you as, a, as, as, you know, when you're growing up that really helped you during your, your, your time in corporate or even at your time at QC, you know, that really, I guess that stuck with you or resonated with you. Well, my dad always used to say to me, sweetie, you're awfully cute, but what your big brain, well, he used to say, but what your big brain won't get you, your big brown eyes will. <laughs> uh, and, and that was kind of like really true, um, especially back in the day. I, I, you know, somebody saw a picture of me when I was like your age and they said, wow, you were really a babe back then. And I was like, you know what? And if you're 70, I'm still a babe. It's just a matter <laughs> But um, I was always taught. I remember leaving corporate. Um, I was 45 years old. Um, my mother was like freaking out because she felt like, how could you leave a good job like that? And I had prayed about it and I felt to go to my dad and, um, and ask him about it. And my father said, oh yeah, you can do that. You'll be fine. He said, oh, absolutely. And my father never had a doubt that I could do anything that I set my mind to. And my brother, I'm the oldest of three, um, um, both of my younger siblings are, are gone now, but I had a brother three years younger and a sister 10 years younger. And my brother, I'll never forget, at the time that I left National Grid, he was working there also in a different division. And he uh, was another one who always said, you know what, Denise, you can do this. He pointed out gifts in me that I didn't even really know that I had. Um, to me, they, they were just the way that I was. And he, you know, he sat me down one day and he was like, look, D, you know, do you realize that you do this? Do you realize that you can do that? Do you realize that you do this? And I really didn't. And so those are the things that, that drove me on. Um, my mother was afraid that I would lose the pension um, and, and that I would not, um, she was afraid for my well-being, you know, which is a woman thing. They're, they're all always, concerned about security and um thank goodness that she got beyond that once my father passed away my mother like immediately became my my champion um but um the men in my life and and i had my dad was one of four brothers and um i had one of my dad's brothers was an entrepreneur and so he was always encouraging 
uh, me to do entrepreneurial things. And I'm an oldest child. And if you read anything about birth order, uh, we're always the pushers and, and the risk takers to a degree anyway. And so I think I got a double whammy of, well, a triple whammy, birth order, pushy personality naturally, and then a lot of men in my life who were like, girl, you can do this. I mean, my godfathers, my uncles, my dad, my brother, everybody, you know, said, you got this. And so um, I've, I've, I've made some mistakes and had some really precarious financial periods in my life, but God has been gracious and I've always ended up on my feet. Um, so. That's the importance of family. I don't know who's listening to this podcast, but if there are any men out there who have children, you need to understand that your children need your influence. Your children need your influence, both your sons and your daughters. There are actually books now that have been written about how a mother's influence isn't all that important in terms of the success of an individual. It's generally the father's influence or an influential male's influence. And so gentlemen, if you have a daughter um, look at her. The one thing I must say, and my dad and I didn't always get along. There were probably about 10 or 15 years in my adult life where you put my father and I in a room and it's like the sparks flew because our personalities were very much alike. Um, and, but at the end of the day, I'll never forget, my brother said to me, my dad was sick and he was dying. And my brother said to me, he said, do you realize that daddy respects you more than anybody else in the family? And I was like, what? He's like, yeah. He says, because you're the one who won't let him get away with stuff. <laughs> you call him on his stuff. And I never really thought of it that way. And my dad and I had a conversation. We had a very hard conversation uh, a couple of years before he died. And, you know, because I felt that some things that he did, um, kind of made me feel unloved. And my father said to me, he said, honey, he said, you're my eldest. He always said, he never called me oldest. He always called me eldest. He said, you're my eldest. And of course I love you. He said, I did those things or didn't do the things that you wanted. He said, because you just weren't old enough. I couldn't entrust you with that kind of responsibility. Um, and he said, and, and, and he explained to me, he says, you know, when, when you're 10 years old, he said, I, can't, I couldn't leave you with your baby sister or ask you to do certain things. He said, because you were only 10. He's like, and yes, you could change your diaper. He said, but I wasn't going to go out and leave you, leave you in charge of her because you just weren't old enough. And I had an older god sister that he would, you know, they'd say, oh, Carol, do this for the baby, do that for the baby. And that was the baby I prayed for. I mean, when my mother was pregnant, I prayed for a little girl. And so I was like really insulted that daddy wouldn't allow me to do certain things. Um, and, and I was like in my thirties before I understood why, but, you know, I remember the times that, oh gosh, now you're gonna make me cry. I, I remember the times that, that we argued, but what I remember most and what fuels me most is how much 
my father believed in me and how much he let me know that he believed in me and that I could do certain things. Um, I'll never forget, I was married for a short time. And um, uh, when my ex-husband went to ask my father for my hands in marriage, um, my father looked at him, I, I heard later, because I wasn't there. Um, and he says, well, you're not going to make her happy. He said, the best you could do is you could like maybe keep her satisfied. <laughs> And, you know, my father knew me just that well, that he was, and I'll never forget when I used to have my little boyfriend problems and stuff, I could go to my dad and say, well, what about this? What about that? And my father knew me well enough to, to say, well, no, um, it's because you're doing this. It's because you're doing that and, and, and whatnot. So gentlemen, the time that you invest in your daughters even just observing them um, and encouraging them, you know, look at what their strengths are. I mean, my strengths happen to be in leadership and business, but are their strengths creative? Do they write well? Are they athletic? Um, you know, what, what is it that they like to do? Uh, you know, your daughters need you. I am where I am now because of my parents' parenting, um, but especially um, I had the courage to take risks and do way out things because of my dad. My mother would have never encouraged me to do anything way out because no mother does. You know, everybody, every mother wants their baby safe. Um, but my father was like, yeah, girl, you got this, go ahead. Definitely, I think, that, I think that's powerful, especially considering um, Father's Day was Sunday, right? So I think that's yes. Awesome. Well, yeah. actually, I made a, a post um, on Facebook on Father's Day, and um, for my brother and my dad because they're both gone, and and I talked about exactly um, how they were with me, um, and and how much they believed in me, and how much they encouraged me, and how much um, my brother especially wouldn't let me off the hook when I got lazy, um, and pushed me to do. I remember my brother actually um, had cancer and I remember taking him to chemo, chemo treatments and he'd be like ripping me a new face in the car. He says, don't you, don't you have something to do with your business? Why are you doing this with me? Somebody else can take me, but I wanted to take him. I wanted to be with him. And so he would, he would like give me a hard time about taking him to chemo and picking him up. Um, but, and I'm glad I did now because, you know, he, he, he was dead, like not like three or four years later. Um, and I didn't regret, um, while I missed him going, I had no regrets because I knew that I was there for him. Um, and, uh, and that's it. But it's, um, it's, it's just so important. Um, the men in our lives, um, as women, they're really, really important. Um, they teach you, um, for the ladies who are listening, um, men teach you how to be treated um, by men. And, um, and if your father is a great father, yeah, he may get on your nerves, but um, he's got you. And if your father's not, every person that we meet, and my mother taught me this, every person that we meet is an example of either who to be or who not to be. And, and that's how you have to look at absolutely everyone. Um, 
to see what kind of example they are. Definitely, I think I think that's very powerful. So, um, that's a thought for real. Yeah, yeah. for real. So. Um, on that note, we're going to take a, a quick break um, and then we'll get into the quote of the day. So I'll be right back. All right. Uh, welcome back to segment two of the Everybody Eats podcast. We just had a great conversation talking about the background, the wonderful uh, Professor Miller. So Edom, uh, if you can give us that quote of the day um, and then, you know, we'll get it started. Okay, so the quote is, you drown not by falling into a river, but by staying submerged in it. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Any hints? Um, Who made that quote? He's an author. He's a Brazilian. And he... If I say I'm going to give it up right away, but he's got a real oh. famous book. Um, I, that's literally all I can say. If I, if I, if I say it, I'm, I'm going to really give it up. Brazilian author? Brazilian author, yeah. I'm cheating. You know that, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh. Uh, uh. I have no clue. I don't know. What is he famous for? How? He's written books. He's written books. I don't think he's. Oh, he's still alive, but um, he's written a lot of books. I need some love. Professor Miller's. Uh, I mean, one of his books is called *The Pilgrimage*. Hmm. If if I say like what he's most known for, you're really you gonna it, get it. it. All right, so he wrote *The Alchemist*. Oh, okay. I still don't know that name. Dang. I know the book, but I don't have the author's name on, on my head. Well, you know I'm on my phone looking it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Besky's out. I really thought Professor Miller would go get this. No. shot. We're going to do a, a Jeopardy. Countdown. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh. Who is it? Paolo Coelho? Yep. Got it. Yeah, I wouldn't have, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> have gotten that. But could you say the quote one more time? All right. So the quote is, you drown not by falling into a river, but by staying submerged in it. Damn. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Um. Hold your head up, pick your, you know, keep marching forward, honestly, no matter what yeah. happens, no matter what life throws at you, it's so easy to get, well, to get lost in it, I feel like. That's my interpretation. Yeah, but, that kind of reminds me of something um, I heard the other day. Someone was like, you know, a lot of people seem like they're going through hell right now, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, if you're going through hell, like, keep going, right? Like, you know, why would, why would you stop where you are now? You know, and I was like, man, like, there's little things like that. I was like, you know, that, that means it's a lot, you know, like, if you're going through hard times, it's not time to quit that's the last time to quit you know you don't want to quit while you're going through hard times because now you know you're going to give up it's still going to it's still going to happen you know that's the time to keep pressing forward and you keep striving you keep working and then you get yourself out of that situation so um that's what that's what that reminds me of yeah um just um it's it's interesting because there's a there's a, a gospel singer his name is ron cannoli and he had this song many years ago 
and the, the, the words of the song were, if you catch hell, don't hold it. And if you're going through hell, don't stop, go ahead. Mm. Um, but this, um, when you just think about this, um, just physically, um, you can't drown, you can't drown unless the water gets into you, which is what causes you to submerge, mm. okay? Um, because drowning is literally your lungs filling up with water so that you can't breathe. And so when you said this, my first thought was, yeah, of course not, because um, as long as you don't swallow the water, um, you're not going to drown. You, you know, you'll be, you'll be able to get out of it. It's, it's when you start, and it's like a boat. A boat can be in lots and lots of water, but until that boat starts taking on water, that boat stays above stays the water. And, um, and that says to me, you know, especially with what we're looking at now in society, you know, it's, it's so interesting that history does repeat itself. You know, I said to somebody a couple of weeks ago when all of the, the riots and the looting and all those things started to happen, I was like, you know what? I never thought that I would have to relive this again. Okay, I saw this 50 years ago and here it is again. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, um, and, and one of the things that I, that I did not say to you when I spoke about my corporate career is that when I was brought back for a second interview, uh, the man who brought me back was a young white guy. Um, well, back then we were both young, who was just a couple of years younger than, uh, older than me. And he was literally told by management, um, like, why did you do this? And if she doesn't work out, we'll fire her and we'll fire you too. Yeah. Okay. I found this out many years later. Um, and there are things that I went through. I and mean, when people speak about um, microaggressions and white privilege. Trust me, I've been through it all. Um, I had to make the decision though, where this quote is concerned, I had to make the decision not to allow that to get into me, not to, not to hate, not to be angry, but to just do the best that I could. And I was angry for a lot of years and, and really didn't say much about it. Um, but it happened in every life circumstance. I mean, in terms of divorce, same thing. I could either be eaten alive by that anger or I could let it go and move on. Um, I, I've had some instances even at Queens College where things have happened that are not necessary, that were, I've had things happen um, that didn't have to happen the way that they did. Um, and at the bottom of the, of the situation was an issue with white privilege. And um, I felt that I needed to just move ahead and do what I needed to do. Um, and there's always a time to address what's happened to you. But sometimes when you're in that water, it's not the time. Because if you do, that's when you're going to take on that water and drown yourself. You have to be in distance from a situation. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't have to be years. Um, it can be, you know, it could be, take a minute, get up, 
go walk around the block and come back you know, until you can clear your head and get over the emotional part of it. Because the other thing that happens with drowning, um, and you see it all the time when res rescuers rescue people, um, the person that's drowning panics. And that's what happens. And that's why, I do either of you lifeguard? That one. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've lifeguard for six years. Right. So what yeah. do they teach you when you're that's saving the person? When they teach you that, exactly. So, you know, a lot of times when, when people are drowning and you come to save them, they're, they're panicking, right? So the first thing that they do, they want breath, they, they want air. So they'll actually like jump, a lot of times they'll, they'll jump on the lifeguard and push the lifeguard down, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens is now the lifeguard, the one who's trying to save you is the one, now you're putting them in danger. So that actually what, what we're taught to do is actually, again, distance ourselves, like you just said, we have to remove ourselves from the mm -hmm. person and literally tell them, relax, right? To relax, it's gonna be okay, I'm here to save you, and then you'll go again. And sometimes right. they do that multiple times because that panic, they're not thinking straight. So. And sometimes, you ever had to like really smack the snot out of somebody to make it, I mean, please excuse me, <laughs> listeners, but um, you know, you gotta like, like basically punch them in the face and when you rescue them, you grab them, you grab your neck under their chin so that you're swimming with them behind you yeah. so that they can't, and you have it tight so they can't flip over and grab you. Yeah. Now, this is, <laughs> this is all I read. I can't swim. I, <laughs> my stomach, if it's deeper than a bathtub, I ain't going, okay? <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, I've, I've read and I know people who, who have, you know, who are, have been or who are lifeguards, and that's what I've been told. And so, I mean, and, and it's just, this is so true to life. You can't, um, especially if it's, if it's a river of negative emotions um, and a negative situation, you can't, you can't stay submerged. You, 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 because if you do, you're gone. Okay. And you know, with two of you, you know, um, in business, um, stuff is gonna happen if it hasn't already happened. And you have to make up your mind to be bigger than the situation you are a lot freer to address those situations now than I was 40 years ago, okay? Um, um, but don't allow the upset to, to get into you because when you panic, you do stupid things and you don't want to do something stupid. You want to always be strategic in how you handle those kinds of situations. Definitely, definitely. That's powerful. Um, Edom, I need one more time, or yeah, one more time. See that quote. Down, honey. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> so the quote, one more time, is: "You drown not by falling into a river, but by staying submerged in it." Right. Definitely, That's why we talk about falling in love. Okay. Hopefully it doesn't drown you to kill you, but you know. <laughs> yes, right. definitely, definitely. All right. So on that note, uh, we'll we'll start uh transition to our final segment. Um. So for this, what I wanted to uh cover essentially is the idea that it's it's never too late to start. So one thing that um, I'm very inspired by, Professor Muller, is that you're always you always seem to be engaged. No matter no matter what, always engaged, always starting something new. Um, 
you always speak about, um, you know, the leadership programs that you're in and the things that you're starting regarding whether it's a podcast, you know, writing, writing, uh, starting a new book. Um, before we were speaking about your entrepreneur group in your church. So I wanted to know if you, if you could, you know, kind of touch a little bit on each one of those and just more on the more grander scale of it's never too late to start and like what what kind of like motivates you and keeps you motivated to continue you know giving back and continue these new ventures and and how do you keep yourself from saying um uh, how do you keep yourself from saying uh day one instead of one day that's a loaded oh, lot okay. of yeah, that's a, that's a lot. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, okay. so, let's see. Um, first of all, I think, um, again, I have to take it back to my family. My father's mother was in her 60s. And she stopped being a domestic. And she went back to school to become... A home attendant. She was one of the first. Now, you guys have never known an era, a time when there weren't home attendants, but back when I was your age, when someone got sick, if their family didn't take care of them, they either rotted and died in their apartment or they ended up in an institution. There was no such thing as the home attendant who came in to take care of grandma. Oh. Okay. And so my grandmother was in her 60s. And I'm just trying to think. Um, when I was a, a kid, I, I'll never forget this. Um, I had a very bad case of acne. And one of the things she learned in school was that urea helps clear up your face. And my sister, maybe I was 10, 11 or 12, because my sister was still in diapers. And she called my mother one day and told my mother to wipe my face with my sister's diapers. And I was like, I don't think so. I mean, I love, I love baby, but not like that. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, um, but she was, she learned. I mean, she was going to school. She was having to read. She was doing all of that. And then my dad, when I was about 14, my dad was a ship boiler maker. He worked in the Navy Yard when they had ships deployed there. And they closed the Brooklyn Navy Yard. And my had a choice of moving family to Philadelphia, um, to the Navy Yard there, and my mother wouldn't go. Uh, my mother didn't want to leave her mom here, and um, my father and, and my mother's mother, like my father, was probably praying to get away. But <laughs> that's a whole other story. But um, my dad went back to school, and he became an X-ray technician. And that was just at the beginning. I think he was an x-ray technician for a couple of years. And then he got into nuclear medicine, all the stuff that we do now, the MRIs, the scans, and all that stuff. My dad got into that. And so um, my mother wanted to go back to college when I was in college, um, but didn't go because um, she decided that um, she didn't want to have to depend on me to help with my sister. She wanted me to just go to school. So she didn't. But my mother was always extremely well-read. Like, I remember, like, the whole big thing about Ayn Rand now and Atlas Shrugged and all those books. I remember my mother reading that book when it first came out. 
my mother and her best friend were big readers. So I've always been around people who were readers, who wanted to be educated, who wanted to learn new things, um, uh, you know, who were not afraid. I, I watched my mother leave a great job in private industry to work for the city. She, my mother was one of the first civilian employees at NYPD down at Groom Street before it, it became, before Police Plaza was built. Um, and um, we were always encouraged to, um, and not even so much encouraged, but it was modeled for us to, to reach out and to do new things. So, um, you know, and, and now my theory is, is if you don't grow, uh, anything that, that isn't growing is dying. Okay, there's, you, you're either, you know, you, nothing stays still. And you know, if you stay still, you decay. If you don't move ahead, you're, you're dying. So, um, and there's just, you know, I've been gifted with a lot of, of ability to do a lot of different things. And there's um, uh, uh, Miles Monroe. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He also was, was a preacher. He's dead now. Um, in fact, he died very young, quite tragically, in a plane accident, um, he and his wife. But he always used to say that the most expensive piece of real estate on the planet is the graveyard, because so many people die with their dreams and their wishes and their abilities in them. And you never know the great things that those people could have done. And I was just saying to somebody last week, I said, you know what? Um, I don't know when I'm going to die. I hope it's not soon because I don't really want to die with one note of the music that's, that was put in me still in me. I want to play it all out. And uh, if that's writing a book, if that's teaching a class, if that's doing a podcast, um, if that's mentoring someone, I want it all to be gone. So that when I'm gone, you know, that that's gonna, you know, it's it, that's gonna be it. So, for me, um, I guess it, it's just family example, and that's it. I think, yeah, I think that that clarifies that. I think that's definitely powerful. Um, one thing that you know, I kind of lately, I, that's kind of been keep me, keeping me motivated is somewhat of a similar mindset. Um, of that I don't want to I don't want to look like maybe 10 20 30 years God will if I'm living that long and look back and think you know I regret not starting this I regret not you know giving it a try I regret you know like I should have just at least you know just gave it some sort of effort and just to see you know and if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't you right. know but I don't want to you know look back and you know x amount of years when I don't have enough time to do it then, I'm like, man, I, I should have just tried it when I was younger. You know, I should have just tried it when I had time. I should have just tried, you know, this, that, and the third. So that's something that definitely keeps me motivated, you know, trying new things. And like, hey, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But at least, you know, I know I just tried it and that, you know, uh, that's it. That's it. So much better to say oops than to say, wow, I wonder. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so Edom, yeah, uh, anything, anything else? Nah, Professor Rowe has a habit of like answering 60 different <laughs> questions within her. All my words. <laughs> I had like, sorry, there's like a boom. I had, um, 
I had two other questions to ask, but she just. What were they? What did no, I you answered it? You answered it. You answered it. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, on on that note, um, honestly, thank you for for joining us. Thank you for those words of wisdom. Really appreciate it. Um, you know, definitely, I can say I learn something new every time. Every time that we speak, yep. um, definitely something you know, in, inspirational, right? Um, man, like. You know, uh, it, it, it's great that, you know, you, you reached out about that podcast, like you wanted to start a podcast and like, you know, I guess like the first thought, I was like, you know, you, you're already working on a book. You're already doing this, that, and like you want to do a podcast too. So it's like, you know, if Professor Miller can do it and like, there's no excuse, nobody else. Like she, she's always, always striving to do Slow down. She only got her one gear. Well, yeah. yeah, you know, I get, number one, it's boring. It's boring. <laughs> boring to, to slow down and you know number two um I um I, I'll never forget I said this to somebody in my church when they had the nerve to look at me and tell me I was unstable because um because I won't stay with just one ministry forever um I'm about developing people starting something and moving on to the next thing mm -hmm. part of it is my personality I just get bored really quickly and, you know, once something becomes routine, I'm done. I'm ready to pack it in and move on. And um, Bensky, we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, one of the reasons um, with Bala, you know, because I, I taught Bala for so long, um, but I had come to learn about Sikh program and get involved with Sikh students and, um, in fact, I'm so proud of Khalil Anderson. Um, yes, who's who's running for, you know, running for for state assembly. Um, I am just so proud of him. He was one of my students. Yeah. Um, I believe he won, and, by the way. Huh? I believe he won. I believe I saw oh, that he won. Okay. I, have to that, you know, okay. I have to get online and check it out. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I am. I I just I I took a look at Bala. And I thought about new professionals programs and I, I looked at some of the students that um, um, could not really, really appreciate what I had to offer because um, they had a lot of that. Whereas Sikh students really um, had a lot of counseling support um, but not necessarily support from a business perspective. And I just said, you know what? I think that I will be much more useful to the students. And, and that's another thing. Um, I look at students as my customers. Okay, my basic background, my initial training was in customer service okay that was the very first job out of college um i supervised representatives on a customer service complaint line and i have always looked at the people i serve um as well as people who i lead as my customers and um and when you're a professor i believe you do both um you both serve students and you lead students. And, um, and I looked at the students and I said, you know what, there are plenty of business examples in, in the business and liberal arts program, um, but not really 
business examples in C. And I had the opportunity to help them more with professional development. And, um, and so that's what I did. I, I just said, you know what? Um, number one, these are my folks. And I felt, you know what, this is a way that I can give back. Um, and, you know, to help those students to, to become acclimated, to go into the business world, whatever that business is. And that's one of the things that I taught when I taught introduction to me, it's all a business, whether it's a counseling center, it's a hospital, whether it's a dentist's office, whether it's JP Morgan Chase or PricewaterhouseCoopers or Marriott, it's all a business. Okay. Because if, the money coming in doesn't equal the expenditures, it folds. That makes it a business. It could be a church. It could be, a, it's all a business. And, and with that said, you, you have to teach young people how to function in that kind of environment. And I was blessed to have a mother who was an executive secretary. So there are things that I learned like without even knowing that I was being taught how to behave professionally. And if I could teach students to do that, then that's wonderful. Definitely, it's all about giving back at the end of the day. So that's definitely amazing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, on that note, Edom, any, any final words, any concluding? Thank you so I much. I had for enough words. <laughs> now, I, I just really want to thank you for coming. You know, I always love speaking with Professor Miller, so. I mean, I'm, I I'm think glad we got to share this with everybody listening. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. I, I am I'm grateful for, um, for you all wanting to speak to me. It's as you become older, um, that a young person cares to, to speak to you is really a big deal. Um, and I'm glad that, that what I have to say is still relevant and still motivating and still inspiring and um i can't thank you enough for having me on i'm like tickled <laughs> no doubt no doubt so um on that note that concludes today's episode again everyone listening we've got, we're on all platforms um professor miller how can people reach out to you whether it's an email address if anyone wants to ask any questions you don't want to they can actually reach the easiest way for them to reach out to me i i will have to tell you first of all i'm really not great uh with email but if you put in the subject line um everybody eats okay because i'll go searching for that they can email me personally um at my email address which is m like mary s like sam d like donna l like larry m like mary at outlook.com or they can uh also email me at my school email address which is dmiller at qc.cuny.edu all right, so you got it. You can email or ask any questions. Put everybody eats in the subject line. Right, because if you don't put it in the subject line, if I don't see it, it's not my fault. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. So, 
Yeah, so um, everybody listen up. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you uh, stay tuned. Episodes dropping every Tuesday. Um, and see you guys next week. Okay. Thanks.